church, our Lord said, Why are you persecuting me? So Christ is still on the cross. Behold, I stand at the door of God. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. You're listening to Behold the Man with your host, Joe McLean. I never wanted to fail you. Still, I let you down. Seems like I've been locked up inside, hoping you could let me out. Well, I've heard that love never fails and everything else shall cease. Why can't I see and love them perfectly? My love don't stop loving me. Love is patient, love is kind. Love is not jealous forever. Not seeking its own, not brooding on wrongs. Love rejoices in love truth. It bears all things, believes all things. Love hopes and love endures. My love, my love, love never Hola, buenos dias, que tal? Welcome back to Behold the Man. I'm your host, Joe McLean. That was Love from the album Sacred Revolution by Curtis Stephen. For more information and a link to Curtis Stephen's website, stop by my website at www.catholichack.com. Look for the show notes to this show on Mary and the Temple and the Prototypes, and you will find the link right there. You know, love is also sacrificial. And that's what we're going to be getting into today. We're going to take a break again from our, our study on A Father Who Keeps His Promises by Dr. Scott Hahn. A little short timeout, uh, an interruption to our regularly scheduled program to talk about prototypes, types, typology, specifically those that we can look at in St. Luke's Gospel, Chapter 1, the Annunciation Narrative. And uh, we're going to be getting into that today. But before we do, as always, let's say our prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Heavenly Father, all glory and honor and praise to you. We come before you to praise you. We come before you and ask you that you will enlighten our minds to open our hearts and let us understand your word so much more. We pray for the Holy Spirit to come upon us, to inspire us to deeper and more vast knowledge of the revelation that you have given to us. We trust ourselves to you, my Lord, and we ask you to give us the grace that we so desperately desire. We pray also for the dying and for those that we have lost this week. We trust them into your care, for the conversion of sinners, for the unity of the faithful, for the church 
that she will be protected in her mission and vocation to be the sacrament of salvation in a dark world, the light of Christ. We pray for the faithful, that they too will walk always with Jesus Christ, his church, his ministers, and his sacraments to give them life. We ask the intercession of Our Lady. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, we've got a long way to go and a short time to get there, to steal the lyrics from the Smokey and the Bandit song bandit song from the 70s there. But I'm in the process of writing a book on typology, and I used uh, a part of what I'm writing about in a contest that I run on my website at catholichack.com called Name That Old Testament Prototype. And what I do is I typically name a, uh, I'll give a New Testament fulfillment and I'll ask, you know, the, the contestant to find me, tell me where in the Old Testament, name me the Old Testament prototype that the New Testament brings to fulfillment. It gives us an opportunity to dive deep into sacred scripture and to pull out some of that really awesome imagery that we find there in the Old Testament, hidden in the old and revealed in the new. And so uh, I used some of the stuff that I'm writing about in my book uh, for this week's contest. And what I asked was, you know, I looked at St. Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 35, where the Holy Spirit overshadows Our Lady. And I said, name me two Old Testament prototypes. And two of them are fairly easy, but there's a third one that I was really hoping someone would pick up on. But so far, no takers. And I, I, I labeled it the bonus round. So we did get a winner, and the winner gets a CD set from the Fullness of Truth Catholic Evangelization Ministries past conferences. And specifically, I was giving away CD sets from Dr. Brant Petrie and Dr. Michael Barber, as well as a bonus set of my personal talks on, on pornography. And so uh, David won this last week, and congratulations, David, from Corpus Christi. And we're, I'm going to be sending those off pretty shortly. But we're going to we're going to go through some of these typologies and we're going to look we're going to use the uh, annunciation narrative in St. Luke's gospel as our framework to do that. Let's get started. In St. Luke's gospel chapter 1 starting in verse 26 we read, quote, "In the 6th month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David." And the virgin's name was Mary. Now, I, I do not pretend to be able to exhaust this within a half hour time span of the show, but I, I'm going to give you some some of the tidbits, some of the meatier stuff that that we find in this narrative. But let's pay attention here to some of the characters already mentioned. The angel Gabriel, very important. The fact that he was sent from God. He was standing before the very face of God when he was sent to a virgin in a little town in northern Galilee, there in Nazareth. This same angel also visited the prophet Daniel. We see that depicted in Daniel chapter 9, verses 20 through 27. We also see that... Uh, he came to visit Zechariah here in the same chapter in Luke's Gospel 1, chapter 1, in verse 11. 
Now, what's interesting is I want you, and I've done this before on the show, but you can go back and and look at the parallels between Daniel chapter 9 and Luke chapter 1 when Daniel at evening time, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, was offering up prayers and sacrifice facing towards Jerusalem. He was in Babylon. He was looking towards Jerusalem and praying for the coming restoration of the temple when this angel, Gabriel, visited him. Zechariah also, who by casting lots because he was a priest serving in the temple, it's like winning the lottery, by the way. There were some 20,000 priests and, you know, it was like a big, 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 huge monstrous deal to win, to be able to cast lots and get chosen to offer sacrifice. That was a huge deal. And he, he gets to, he, he wins the lottery, you know, the, the casting of lots and he goes into the temple at evening time to offer up the incense. And there he, he encounters this, this angel, right? Well, both of them are offering up prayers at the same time of day. One praying for the restoration of the temple, the other praying for at the temple that was restored. Very significant. You can you can compare the parallel verses there. Now, if we move on to verse twenty-eight of Saint Luke chapter one, quote, and he came to her and said, "Hail, O favored one, the Lord is with you." But she was greatly troubled at the saying and considered in her mind what sort of greeting this might be. Now. I want you to note that she is not bothered that there's an angel in front of her. (laughs) No, she's bothered by the greeting the angel has for her. I thought that was very interesting because what the angel says to her is, Hail, O favored one. In the King James and the New American translations and other translations, it says uh, the full of grace or the, yeah, the full of grace, the highly favored one. So this is a title. This is not just some, you know, uh, eloquent words. No, he's referring to her in a position, a title, the full of grace, the highly favored one. This is very, very, um, very, very significant. The Greek word used here is kekaretomene. Now, kekaretomene is a very interesting Greek word. In a, in a nutshell, it means that she was always full of grace. She is now full of grace, and she will always be full of grace. Very unique word, and it's also a pointing to the fact that she was perpetually without sin. She was conceived without sin, she lives without sin, and she goes on to exist without sin. Not that she couldn't sin, but that she didn't have sin. She didn't have the stain of original sin on her soul. She was immaculately conceived, if you will. Now, what I again, what I thought was interesting was, unlike almost every other encounter with a celestial messenger, an angel, they're almost always fearful of the angel itself. In this case, Mary is not fearful of the angel itself. She's not racked with fear, because I would go, I would propose that it's because she's not living a, a concupiscent life. She doesn't have original sin, a diminished capacity for grace uh, like we do. We were born with original sin. We struggle with sin every single day. Uh, she had a little bit of an advantage being immaculately conceived, being prepared from before all time for the day when she would be asked to be the full of grace, to bear uh, the God-man to all the world to become the new Eve, the mother of all the living. How much more if Eve was the mother of all the living because she was the original woman, how much more Our Lady, 
who bears Christ Jesus to the world. Well, she was being prepared from the beginning of time for this role. And here this angel comes to greet her. And she's not scared of the angel. She's scared of the greeting. But if we look at other examples, you know, again, this angel Gabriel came before the face of God. God is an all-consuming fire, Hebrews 12, 29 tells us. And the angels are depicted as being radiant, white, glowing light. It's this glorious presence, right? And that's what partly scares the people who, who they encounter. Everyone who stands in the face of God has radiated this light, has become almost uh, just this glorification of themselves. Even Moses in Exodus chapter 34, verses 35 and following, Even he, his face shines bright, glowing, and the people got scared of him and made him put a veil over his face. Our Lord, the mountain of transfiguration, the Shekinah glory cloud comes and what happens? He starts to glow and radiate, you know, and it scares Peter and the, and the uh, James and John. It also excites them, right? And then when that was found in St. Matthew's gospel, chapter 17, verse one. Now, others, as I was saying, fear the angel himself or the angel itself. For instance, Zechariah, as we mentioned before, who was in the temple offering sacrifice, encounters the angel Gabriel, we are told, was troubled when he saw him, the angel Gabriel, and fell upon him and fell upon him in fear. That's verse 12. The shepherds that we will see in the um, nativity section of Luke's gospel, the shepherds who encountered the angel in the field, they were filled with fear there in chapter 2, verse 9. How about the women who go to see our Lord on on the day he rose from the grave? They went to go and visit his body and to continue to prepare his body for burial because they, they put him in the tomb in haste. Remember that? Now, the women, they were also filled with fear because they saw uh, angels in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, that's chapter 24, verses 4 and 5 here in St. Luke's Gospel. So we see tons and tons of examples of people who encounter angels and are filled with fear at the presence of the angel, but not Our Lady. We are not told she's frightful because the angel is standing there, must have looked like a blazing glory. No, she's filled with fear over what he said. How significant is that? It's over what he said. What did this man say, or this angel say, rather, that was so fearful? Well, he said, Hail, full of grace. Hail, O highly favored one. Now, I would argue that Mary knew knew what was up. It's this particular angel that matters. Again, this angel visited Daniel. In Daniel chapter 9, verses 20 through 27, this angel Gabriel comes to visit him and gives him a, a prophetic vision of the future and the coming of the Messiah. Now, don't forget that Our Lady... In her day and age, they lived and breathed their traditions. They would have known their histories, their stories, their prophetic messianic uh, prophecies. Those all would have been known by heart. They didn't have to. They didn't read these stories. They most couldn't even read. They the men sat at synagogue and heard the word proclaimed to them, and they would pass this on to their children and their children's children. They lived and breathed their tradition. Oh, wait a minute. You say that that's too impossible, Joe. There's no way they could have remembered all those stories. By heart, you say? No. Really? How about you ask my five-year-old daughter, who doesn't know how to read yet, if she knows who Adam and Eve is, or Noah, 
or King David or Solomon or Jesus or Moses even. You see, we teach our kids stories and they remember these stories and they they can tell them back. If that's the case, how much more in a society where that was the only way by which you can communicate the traditions, the stories, the histories, the life of your people was word of mouth to ear and heart. And so Mary would have remembered, she would have known all of this by heart. And so when she sees this particular angel standing there before her, this particular angel stood before another, Daniel. And this, and that time spoke of the coming of the Messiah. Also ringing in her brain might have been Isaiah 7.14, when the prophet Isaiah spoke of the coming sign that a virgin or a young woman, as some translations say, a virgin would bear a son and name that son Emmanuel. That means God with us. Now, if she's been picked, then why is she troubled? I mean, isn't this like winning the lottery? If you're a young woman and the, and the Jewish people, and you're, you're counting on the day when the Messiah would come in the, in the fourth age there, and that's when they were living, well, hmm, it's like a big deal. Wouldn't you be happy? No, she's still troubled. She is still troubled. Why? Well, there's a very particular reason. Because Mary has sworn a vow. She has sworn a vow of virginity, giving herself to God. Let's move on. Quote in verse 30, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Yahshua is the name, and it means God saves. In verse 32, quote, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How shall this be, since I have no husband? Come on, Mary, really? I mean, I understand you might be a young girl. Most people say 14, 15, 16, something like that. But do you really want us to believe you don't know how babies come into the world? I mean, do you still think storks drop them off? No. See, we always impose a, a simpleton, uh, this this like really simpleton version upon Mary. We think that she's just this innocent young girl who doesn't know anything. She's too naive to the ways of the world. I suggest to you that's not the case at all. She was a consecrated virgin for God, giving herself over completely an entire gift of self to the Almighty. That takes sacrifice. Talk about love. Love is sacrificial. Mary loved God so much, she gave herself completely and entirely over to Him. And the angel comes to visit her and says, Hail, full of grace. And this saying troubles her. Why? Because if Mary rightly understands what's going on here, that God is asking her to conceive the God-man, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, Jesus Christ, to bring life into the world, the Messiah, who would restore her people, who would bring about the new kingdom, the new creation, who would bring the exiles out of exile and gather all the world in. 
That means she must break her vow of virginity. Well, now you say, come on, where is that in Scripture? It doesn't say that in Luke's Gospel. Well, I turn to the book of Numbers, chapter 30, verses 3 through 8, where we see a very uh, clear picture of a tradition that predates this encounter with this angel and the people of Israel. This is very clear. It is very obvious what's going on. Numbers chapter 30, verses 3 through 8. Let's just look at 3, 4, and 5. Quote, Or when a woman vows a vow to the Lord and binds herself by a pledge while within her father's house in her youth, and her father hears of her vow and of her pledge by which she has bound herself and says nothing to her, then all her vows shall stand, and every pledge by which she has bound herself shall stand. But if her father expresses disapproval to her on the day he hears of it, no vow of hers, no pledge by which she has bound herself shall stand, and the Lord will forgive her. But her father opposed her. It goes on to talk about married women giving the same vow. So if a woman vows, pledges herself to God, and her father, if she's young and she lives in her father's house and, the, and her father hears of it, on the day he hears of it, if he doesn't say no, then it stands. But more importantly than just it standing, he, the father, then is now obligated to ensure that she holds it up. This is a an accepted common practice amongst the Jewish people, predating this encounter with this angel. And so this was a given. Now, I propose that Our Lady is a consecrated virgin to, to God, giving herself, pledging herself over, and that she lived in a, a very uh, sacramental relationship with Joseph, her protector, her keeper. Now, I don't want to get off too further into that subject. That might be a topic for a different day. But So I propose this is what bothered Mary. She has a choice. She has a choice. Accept the position of kekaretomene, of the full of grace, and in essence break her oath with God, or reject the position, the title, the opportunity to bring the Messiah to the world and maintain that oath. Now, it seems impossible. It's an impossible choice. But as Luke says in chapter 8, verse 27, quote, what is impossible with men is possible with God. Let's move on. Verse 35, we read, And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Very, very significant. We see three things going on here. Three very critical elements of this particular passage, uh, especially here in verse 35. We see, we see Our Lady, okay? We see the Holy Spirit. The panuma is the Greek word used there. And we see it overshadowing her. Now, God created a way for Mary, the full of grace, to do both, to keep her solemn pledge of virginity and bear the Messiah to all the world. These elements, the full of grace, the tabernacle of the divine man, see, within Mary's womb was was the whole, was God, okay? The, Jesus Christ, the, the Holy Spirit overshadowed her, and she conceived within her womb the God-man. Her womb was a tabernacle, making her 
a fulfillment of the Old Testament prototype of the temple. These elements, as I said, Mary, the the Holy Spirit, and this overshadowing, they call to mind certain Old Testament passages. This, This is what I was asking in that contest I was running. Name that Old Testament prototype. An Old Testament prototype of this New Testament fulfillment of the Holy Spirit overshadowing Our Lady and her conceiving within her womb Jesus Let's look at Exodus chapter 40, verse 35. It says, quote, And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting, because the cloud abode upon it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. That cloud, the Shekinah, the glory cloud, the presence of our Lord, okay, in the form of the Spirit, it fills the tabernacle. It came upon the tabernacle, which is where the Ark of the New Covenant was. Now, if we look and compare a parallel, 2 Samuel chapter 6 with St. Luke's Gospel, when Our Lady goes to visit Elizabeth, which is the very next verse here in chapter uh, 1, you're going to see very, very, very particular parallels. The bottom line is, Mary is a a fulfillment of the Ark of the Covenant. Because within the Ark was contained the law and the rod of Aaron and the manna. Within Mary is the fulfillment of the law. The very word of God is himself. And he is the high priest, as Hebrews makes ultra clear. And as John chapter 6 says, he is the true manna, the true bread come down from heaven. So within Mary is the perfection of these Old Testament prototypes of the ark, of the tabernacle. And the Holy Spirit came upon it and overshadowed it, pointing to the day when the Holy Spirit, that same Shekinah, would overshadow Our Lady, a fulfillment of the Old Testament tabernacle. In 1 Kings chapter 8, when Solomon was dedicating the temple he built, you know, and he was dedicating it to the Lord, we see in, in uh, verse 10 of chapter 8 there, quote, And when the priest came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord. Again, the Shekinah glory cloud filling the sanctuary where the Ark of the Covenant was, filling it. God's presence was there, like the day that would come when the Holy Spirit, the Shekinah, would come, and the, the panuma is the Greek word used in uh, in Luke chapter 1, when the panuma would come and overshadow Our Lady and fill her, and she would be, she would conceive Our Lord, God's presence now in her womb. There is one other very crucial um, prototype, though, that most people couldn't get. This was the bonus round. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, quote, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the face of the waters. Again, the Spirit moving about or overshadowing or coming upon the waters, waters of creation. How is that related to Our Lady? Well, you see, Our Lady, again, is a is a fulfillment of the of the temple. The creation was the cosmic temple and the garden where Adam, who was had his, uh, his life breathed into him, the Ruach was, bre- was breathed into Adam and he came to life and he was set in a garden to keep and to protect it, to till and to keep the garden. Just like the Levitical priesthood was set up to keep and protect, to work the tabernacle. The people 
the ancient people, the Israelites, saw their temple, their tabernacle, their Levitical priesthood as a recreation of the cosmic creation. The creation in Genesis 1 and 2 is looked at like a cosmic temple. And the garden is the holy of holies, where God's presence, where he walked in the garden in the cool of the day, and he conversed with a high priest, Adam. Mary is a fulfillment of this, where the Holy Spirit hovers above the waters. It overshadows the creation, the temple where God's presence will be realized there. In King Solomon, in his temple, and looked at 1 Kings there, he adorns the temple in this garden motif. We see pomegranates and cherubim, and we see all the elements, all the precious stones, all the elements we read in Genesis 1 and 2. You know, Dr. John Bergsma has an awesome talk, and I'll post it on on my website at catholichack.com for this show, where he gets into this in far greater detail. But this Genesis chapter 1 is a prototype for St. Luke's narrative. St. Luke chapter 1, verse 35, the Holy Spirit coming upon the cosmic temple, overshadowing it, and bringing God's presence into the cosmic temple, which will be realized There in Genesis chapter 2 and in chapter 3, where God walks in the garden of the cool of the day. Our Lady is the fulfillment of this. So the Spirit hovers over Our Lady, the type of the fulfillment of the temple, the type of the church, the body of Christ. So that breath of life would be breathed, the Ruach, into the new Adam, the last Adam. And Our Lady is the last Eve who brings life to all the world. It's powerful. I can't wait to finish writing the book. I've got a long way to go. Pray for me. Well, until next time, I'm praying for you. So please pray for me. May God richly bless you. From the Catholic Underground.